Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon. Here with my co-host, Eric Trexler. Eric, hello. Good morning, Rachel. They've Riverside, our application has <laughs> finally fixed the countdown from not six to zero before the recording starts, but they went to five and That's I'm hilarious. in a much better place mentally as a result. <laughs> it's going to be such it's a been, good conversation. It, it's been a year and a half, two years of me complaining <laughs> and wondering why. We've, I've even asked psychologists We've asked cryptologists, <laughs> why do they count from six to zero before the podcast starts? For some reason, I, I swear they heard my my pleas and questions and we're now at five to and zero. And here we are. I'm much I know. better. It's I'm wonderful. more stable. <laughs> hey, I so I heard that a special someone had a very special birthday yesterday. Yes, yes, yes. Who might that be? That would be me. A big birthday. I'm, I'm going I'm to not do all of our guests a great big favor by not singing happy birthday to you. <laughs> Thank but you. But happy birthday, Rachel Lyon. I really, Thank uh, you. I, I hope it was a good one. It's Thank a big one too. So I hope you, uh, I hope you enjoyed yourself. <laughs> I did. And I have a trip coming up. I have a real, I have a bucket list trip coming up to kind of coincide with the birthday milestone. So that I'm really looking right. forward to. I had a packing dream last night. Not where you know, making sure I didn't lose or forget something on my trip. I'm already starting to have those bizarre. I've never had a packing dream. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> sounds kind of boring. No, it was very stressful. Actually, it was very. So stressful. September is a big month for us, right? Yes, yes, yes. It is Rachel Lyon birthday month, <laughs> and she's going to the uh, the uh, South Pacific. Yes, French Polynesia. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. I wish you the best and we will miss you. But Thank who you. do we have today? Oh, got we ready. We can't talk about you all morning. I know, I know. But that's, I mean, that's okay because we have such a fascinating guest today joining us. Uh, Maria Bada, PhD, is a lecturer in cyber psychology at Queen Mary University in London and an RISCS fellow in cybercrime. Welcome, Maria. I am so excited for today's discussion. Hi. Hi, Rachel and Eric. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for joining us. And I'm going to do this as we rehearsed. Welcome, Dr. Maria Bada. Yes, doctor. We, we always ask questions for here. our listeners. <laughs> we always ask questions. How would you like to be introduced? And we talked about the difference between U.S. and, and U.K. introductions. And Rachel just blew right through what we agreed to. What? It's your birthday month. We don't care. It's good, Aww. Rachel. Go with it. I, anyway, Dr. Since, Maria Bada. That's right. I've been up since two o'clock with the packing dream. No excuses, though. Um, <laughs> but Maria, I mean, this is such great timing. You know, Insider Threat Awareness Month is in September. So this is uh, the fantastic foundation for our, our conversation today. Um, I mean, I guess let me start at kind of the, the back level. How did you even get into this world? Uh, and, and on the front lines, whoa, 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 whoa. Such a can we rephrase topic. the question, please? <laughs> Do you mean cyber psychology? I mean, that's I'm so fascinated by the path to get to there. 
myself. Yes. So it took a while. <laughs> um, so um, I studied psychology and my PhD is in media psychology. So back then when I was studying more than a decade ago, um, there was the term cyber psychology didn't even exist. So we right. used to say media psychology. Um, so I started looking at, you know, from a kind of psychological perspective, um, how people behave online. So, um, you know, along the way, I was very lucky to work with very big universities like Oxford and Cambridge wow. in the UK, work with governments, with the UK government, but also um, looking at the topic of cybersecurity capacity building and how, you know, social skills um, of that of a psychologist could be used by governments to develop awareness campaigns and, wow. you know, educate the public uh, on safe online behavior. So it, it's been a long way, but it's, it has been an exciting and fascinating um, uh, uh, role, definitely. And, and let me not forget the uh, very important work with practitioners. Uh, and, you know, the private sector is well ahead in, in the area of cybersecurity. So the learnings for, for an academic working with the private sector has been brilliant, really. I bet. I just so you mean the private sector is ahead of the academic sector? Um, I think they, at the moment, they go, they work together a lot. But definitely the private sector, if we think about telecoms or, um, I don't know, the finance sector, they're very well ahead from a technical perspective and knowledge. Uh, but um, uh, the uh, private sector work very, very closely with academics, uh, funding research, right. and yeah. then utilizing the tools developed. So I would say they go along, <laughs> alongside. Okay. And, and you, you said something that struck me. You study how, how do people operate online? Yes. How do people operate online? I mean, I've yes. never, I mean, I've thought about it, but never in that 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 type of that that manner i guess like yes. how, how would you summarize how people operate online well um we see a completely different uh behavior online if we compare it to the same person's behavior offline uh, if i may say and it, within cyber psychology there are different theories um trying to kind of explain that difference um i can mention the online disinhibition effect the fact that I don't have someone, you know, um, face to face and I don't interact with them right. face to face. Uh, sometimes they're anonymous. Sometimes they're in a different time zone. Um, really causes that effect of disinhibition. It allows us to, uh, I don't know, trust people easier to, uh, share confidential information easier and think of people as less, um, uh, you know, as less risky uh, or dangerous, uh, if mm -hmm. I may say, it, it really leads us into trusting people more um, because we lack the facial kind of clues. We, we right. lack that interaction uh, and, and we're not used to, or at least we, we were not used to uh, interacting with others online. I guess the, uh, now um, teenagers and young children, they become more tech savvy and, right. you know, they have digital skills. Uh, I, I've done a lot of work around understanding behavior online from the user perspective, but also the criminal perspective, because we see differences there as well. Um, so that disinhibition effect can lead you even into becoming a criminal because you can't realize 
um, the potential impact your actions might have on life. Interesting. Rachel, Rachel, does that make sense to you? I hope. It does. Well, it- no, I mean, like for, I'm looking at it from my personal perspective, Maria, and, and to me, I'll let you answer the question in a minute, Rachel. It no, is your no, birthday no, no. But to me, I am more conservative online. I watch mm. what I... I, I, you know, if I put something on LinkedIn or if I send something to somebody, I will write it and read it and rethink about it and, and oftentimes rewrite it because I feel it's more permanent. I feel it's searchable, right? right? The Google effect where I'll say anything in my personal life or I'll walk around the house, not, you know, without makeup on or my hair done or, you know, we could get worse than that, but like I'm not as, I'm more carefree in, in the confines of my own area. I, I don't know. Rachel, how do you think about it, Miss TikTok? Well, <laughs> and no uh, multi-factor authentication user. I, I do see it from that perspective. I, maybe because I do spend so much time on, you know, these social channels and, and looking at the comments. And, um, and I, I think a lot about that, um, the documentary series. I'm not sure if you you got that in the UK, Maria. It was um, on Netflix. Uh, was it Web Lies? Um, and I forgot what it was with Brian Knappenberger uh, had directed it, and it was this great cyber series. Um, you know, looking at different perspectives, and in one of them was a, a young boy, well, a teenager, mm-hmm. who was you know basically kind of extorting young ladies, uh, sextortion, if you will. And yeah. and he was friends with them, you know, and so it was to your point, right? His online life was kind of was nefarious, you know, but then he would hear these girls, you know, talk to him about, oh, my gosh, this is happening to me. And he's the one that's doing it. It's just really fascinating. I think that's a great example of what you're talking about. Now, that's freaky. Like that. It, just, it, it is. That's disturbing. It is, but it is happening, and especially with online romance camps as well. So many women have been manipulated um, exactly. But to be honest, if I kind of take your comment, Eric, um, that is not the case for everyone, right? right? It could be your background. It could be your knowledge and awareness around the potential risks online. That is not the case, um, you know, for every, every kind of citizen, uh, every user. Um, uh, and, and it really depends on, you know, the, the emotional state you are, especially if we take as a, as an example, the online romance scams. women are in, Women who get manipulated are in a very kind of fragile emotional state. They they want to trust and they want to be loved by someone. So they are easier uh, being manipulated by someone um, in that sense. Uh, but yeah, really, um, overall, I think cyber psychology is looking at online behavior and trends because that online behavior is not static, right? It right. changes. We see trends. Um and basically, we're trying to understand how these are really initiated and how can we work towards developing prevention initiatives. I mentioned cybersecurity awareness campaigns. Um, right. So how do we really promote online safety by, you know, educating people about online risks and harms? And, yeah. and what's most effective so far in your research? Yeah, that's a big question. That's basically my PhD. <laughs> <laughs> See, I know what I'm doing here. I know what I'm doing. Uh, so, um, yeah, as I mentioned, uh, you can start by, um, I think the best solution, if we think about, you know, the national kind of kind of level approach is start early on. We need to educate young children um, because 
um, I've been looking um, and collecting data in different countries, different regions, and how school children are behaving online. And we see really the teenage group, um, the, the group of children being teenagers, really uh, being very, very um, fragile and at risk online at this point. And there are many reasons why. Uh, to be honest, young children really begin using the internet from the age of five, if not even before that, um, without yeah, any two. really, yeah. So um, that builds on. And if, if there's no guidance from school or from parents, um, you know, we see really a lot of risks emerging online. Um, and, and, you know, the most typical example is cyberbullying um, and the impact that that can have to, to a child. Uh, really impacting their personality, uh, their self-esteem. And there's not much you can do, or actually there is a lot of work you need to do <laughs> after that um, to kind of reshape um, and, and protect that child. So uh, I think um, I, I'm a big f uh, fan of really um, awareness, education, uh, building yeah. skills, um, yeah, at all levels, so... Uh, and if I may, say, if I may explain that in a very brief way, yeah. No, no, that, that makes perfect. total sense. How does a parent, like, where does a parent go to get training or education on how to educate their children, when to talk to them, what to talk to them about when? I mean, I, I know I struggled with that, right? We're on the internet all the time. I've got a totally, well, was wired. Now it's wireless and wired. The kids have been on, like you, like you said, from very early on. and. Yes as I watched my three boys develop, one's 20, almost 29, one's 14. There's been some pretty big generational differences when they picked up cell phones, when they picked up the internet, when they got in trouble on the internet for the first time. But how do you, where do you go as a parent to get educated so that you so, can educate? Yeah, I mean, um, there are different resources provided at the governmental level. So in the UK, the government has um, a, a website providing guidance for um, parents and teachers. Um, but also there are a number of, of um, NGOs really providing that type of information. Also schools, uh, if you're lucky and your child goes to a school that provides, you know, uh, parent kind of trainings um, and seminars, then that's a way. But definitely there are multiple resources uh, online. You can really um, find information about that. You know, you're reminding me, we, when I was at McAfee, we did a, I guess it was a team, it was, it was more, it wasn't team building. Well, it was team building, but it was more a community effort where we did mm. go into a school, a, an elementary school, which is, I don't know if, six, five, six through maybe age 10, 11. And we, we did do a session on internet security. I, I totally yeah. forgot about that, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's really like where that it happening. starts. Yeah. Yeah. That's where it starts. <laughs> and then, um, or where it should start, to be right. honest. Um, now we see, if we look at the organizational level, what is happening within companies and organizations, we see, 
uh, employees not having that background and that knowledge um, early on. So, you know, companies are struggling to right. uh, kind of educate their employees. And since we're talking about the insider threat, uh, right. avoid, you know, the potential, you know, intentional or unintentional uh, insider threat risk. I think to your point, too, I mean, it's a lot of people are so trusting of online. And, you know, and if, let's say you're approached through a Facebook post and, you know, somehow they, you know, kind of weasel their way into your work email and you exchange an email or something like that. It's it's really fascinating the links that, you know, attackers will go to uh, to take advantage of like, you know, privileged access and, and things like that. I think um, what was I reading? Uh, there were some stats about insider threat saying uh, privilege, privilege misuse is around 20 ish percent. Is that what you're seeing as well? Yes. Yeah, definitely. I would agree with that. Definitely. And, and Rachel, we're defining privileged misuse as somebody who has authorities and does bad behavior yes. with yeah. said authorities. Is that yeah. intentional and unintentional? Uh, I would say mainly intentional. Um, okay. uh, if I, you know, um, and that's another point because right. it really depends on the sensitivity of the data that an employee holds and whether they should be holding that right. data. Not, right. you know... Many employees should be having access to sensitive data, and maybe right. that's one step, you know, a first step, avoiding that intentional risk, uh, potential insider threat risk. Uh, but yeah, that, that is definitely intentional. <laughs> and then we have negligent users, and, yes. and how, would you, yes. how, do you, how do you think about them? Um, so I would say that potentially all employees could be an unintentional insider threat, right? Um, well, certainly Rachel and I are. <laughs> Uh, for many reasons, it could be that, you know, it could be that you've done your training, you've done, you, mm. you have knowledge around what to avoid, but in a specific day, you're really stressed, you have to do things very quickly, and you accidentally click a link uh, right. in an email, um, and that makes you a potential, you know, inside right. a threat, but that was due to, you know, um, stressful um, kind of conditions. Uh, it's not that you didn't have the knowledge. And right. so, um, yeah, I think employees could be potential insider threats for different reasons, mm -hmm. not just lack of education, really, and awareness. Um, and this is where, and I can open up the discussion around, you know, cybersecurity culture and right. how the environment and the ecosystem of an organization can shape all that. Um, because even if you become an unintentional insider threat, you still can save time and report what happened immediately right. uh, rather than, you know, being afraid of the implications of you clicking a link or, you know, receiving uh, even if, if we go into the serious stuff, even if you receive um, a ransom, you know, message, um, right. you shouldn't be avoiding that of a ransomware attack, uh, reporting it immediately. Um, so having a security a culture of no blaming basically can, can lead into that. Um, but yeah, that's a big discussion there. We've actually heard that over and over on the show or early on in the show, we did a lot around trust and we did a yes. lot around insider yes. threat, insider risk. And, and, one of the comments we heard over and over again was be open about the program, the goals of the program, yes. why we're doing it, not to spy on you, mm -hmm. but to help protect you and, yeah. and let people know what you're doing, but also recognize mistakes happen and don't, don't punish when people make mistakes. Right. You know, in, in, yeah. 
foster that 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 discussion and that openness where yes. if they did something wrong, they feel comfortable asking for help rather than just saying nothing. Yeah, yeah, I, I would totally agree. This is the right way. And this is how you really promote, as you said, openness and you kind of promote um, a positive mind around cybersecurity mm-hmm. because there's yes. not necessarily, you know, an, an impact out of it. But um, working with Awergo and working with Awergo's clients and um, other companies within the private sector, I see that this is not the case, really. Uh, we see a kind of more strict approach being followed by many large companies now. For example, there are cases where you have, if you fail a phishing simulation three times, um, you could be fired, basically. So the, the implications there are quite serious. And employees, of course, are afraid. Um, so clearly, they, you know, you fail your phishing simulation once, you have maybe, maybe a meeting with your manager, you fail it twice, you go up to the CEO, you fail it third time, you're fired. So That's scary. Why, why do they do that? To get them to take it seriously? Yeah, so it's, a, it's an approach, a strict approach of, you know, um, basically, yeah, um, no risk is, is acceptable within the culture of this organization. So they try to eliminate risk this way. But this way, you kind of destroy any chance of building an open culture. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And what's your perspective, Maria, on um, – I, I follow InfoSec Twitter, and I just love the conversations yes. there. And people Better keep than talk- those dog videos. <laughs> the dog videos. I'm obsessed with dog videos. Um, but they talk a lot about where the IT team or security team – will send intentionally yes. a phishing email out to people and basically use it as a means to, to trap people. Like, you clicked on it. It's like, well, why are you tricking me? And you know what I mean? There's that trust, I think, to your point of, okay, now the company's trying to trick me into clicking on a phishing email. Yes. So, so how, do you, I mean, how do you work in an environment like that? That seems hard. And that, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that can have really serious implications as well. Um, so we've actually, with Awergo, we've done um, a research project trying to identify, you know, the effectiveness of phishing um, uh, simulations and whether, you know, they're effective, what employees think about them. And we actually identified that employees did not find them effective. And we have examples of companies uh, where employees thought of or considered everything as a phishing simulation and they would exactly. report it to IT. Right. So the IT was really... <laughs> that'll show them. <laughs> yes. So you want to mess with me here. So they wouldn't open any attachments. They wouldn't right. open... They wouldn't accept any um, calendar invites. Uh, so that brought uh, a huge issue within the company. And that clearly illustrates how they're right. not effective. They could lead you to um, really a, a employees being disgruntled and, and not happy. So that's really not the way to go. And that's already, uh, I, I think, a challenge, right, with the great resignation. I was reading some stat, and let me know if you've heard this one as well, 44% increase in insider threat in, in 2022. And I'm wondering... Is it because of wow. all these levers, you know, and they feel like this sense like this is my data. It's, it's I'm coming. It's coming with me. I mean, it's is that what you're seeing, too? There's so many reasons. One of them. Yeah, definitely. And, and if we look at the profiles of insiders, usually, yeah, they are the um, the code developer um, who might leave disgruntled because they didn't get the promotion and they 
definitely sense that ownership of the code, the, the tool they developed, so they want to take it with them. Definitely that is one of the reasons. Um, but also we see risks emerging because a lot of people have been working from home the last two years. So uh, we see new risks emerging. So we see more that kind of unintentional insider threat emerging mm -hmm. because, you know, you wouldn't face the risk of um, having to work from your own laptop or um, having to have sensitive data stored in an unsecure um, device. So, yeah, so there are new risks emerging. Um, uh, but uh, definitely when we're looking at insiders, there are different reasons, especially whether we're talking about an in intentional or unintentional insider threat. That, that makes sense to me at some level. I'm, I'm not supporting it, but the, the right. code writer, right? Mm. They're emotional. They mm -hmm. didn't get protected. They're probably young. I guess age doesn't necessarily matter, but I created this. This is my work. This is my art. And, and I want to take it with me, right? It's, it's the property of the company. I mean, I think we've been around right. long enough, trained long enough. We know that legally it's the property of the company. They've probably been briefed. But I do understand the, the emotional response to that if you feel like you were wronged or not right. looked at. Right. How, how do you, like, how would you recommend companies better bridge that gap? Because you're not going to get every promotion you want. You're not going to yeah, get every absolutely. answer you want. Right. And you have these emotional feelings. I understand that, but you can't take the code with you. Yeah, and, and not just the code. You can't take the data with you. <laughs> well, right, and you can't stick it up on, uh, you know, WikiLeaks, and, and, yes. and you can't sell it. And I understand you're angry. That yeah. doesn't, like, how, how does a company and, and how, do, how should an employee think through that? Any re so, recommendation? I think it goes back to that discussion of, uh, you know, an open cybersecurity culture um, where an employee feels respected uh, and heard of. I mean, you don't have to get the, every promotion, but at least right. you could be respected. You, you know, you, I mean, when it comes to the insider threats, um, there is a lot of academic work around understanding, you know, the personalities, um, kind of the profiles. And usually they're, they lack social skills. Um, they don't get along with other employees. And basically that lack of kind of social skills and social naivety, um, they, uh, they actually, uh, this puts them in a situation where they could be easier manipulated. So, uh, right. in many cases, an insider threat is not really the, um, the lead in, in, you know, stealing the data. Um, so they could be manipulated by someone else. Um, and that could be due to, as you said, the ownership of, of the tool or the code, but it could be due to, I don't know, financial issues they might be facing at that right, specific right. moment, other stressors, family issues. It's so many things uh, that could really lead to that. And this is why what um, really um, we're, we're doing at this point with Ergo is promoting kind of um, that security culture and ecosystem where employees are open to, to talk to each other or even to their manager, uh, without being afraid. Um, if it's about feeling disgruntled, they, they right. can really express that. Um, that communication or a lack of con communication can lead into an insider actually taking action. And even if they're considering, uh, you know, stealing data, um, it doesn't mean that they will do it, but it, it builds up gradually into them actually um, 
becoming an insider. So again, that's that's a long-term process. It might be that an employee who is really hardworking, um, you, you could not imagine that he could be a risk for the company. But right. um, yeah, after a number of years, due to usually bad cultures, um, mm-hmm. organizational cultures, this this happens. So you've said that a few times now. Mm. So so in in a in a in a good a functioning culture, the the probability of insider risk goes down. I would say, yeah, absolutely. How do you define a good culture? A culture, What what do you look for? So I look for a company or an organization where employees talk to their manager and they're, you know, it's easy to communicate with others. Um, We don't have maybe an an authoritarian approach. Uh, You know, the manager treats employees... um, uh, you know, with respect, I think I mentioned that already. Uh, we right. have examples of really, really bad cultures out there and employees um, being desperate, basically. And either you leave, you quit, or right. you might t- turn into an insider. Um, and, and whether right. you will, you know, f- which road you will follow depends on many things again. Um, and, and I guess I, I mentioned already personality, uh, family issues. Um, yeah. It's it's interesting talking about the disgruntled worker too because there's this this uh, term going around these days quiet quitting and yes. and that's always what I kind of you know think about they're going to linger in the background and you know don't call attention to themselves but you're not quite sure <laughs> what they're doing day to day um and and that's a little a little scary um be, kind of coming back onto this remote work since mm. that is the world we're living in today yes. I mean, how do you know the people that you're hiring are the people they say they are? I mean, it's, I, Ooh, you know, we hire one. people and yeah. I've never met them in person. You know, they work from their home. I hope that's who they say. I have no idea. I have no idea. And you and may then, not meet them for a year or two. You may exactly. not meet them yet. Yes. 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 And yeah. So if you don't have a great culture, to your point, those people are going to just, you know, may never integrate and then just go off and I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to take what I want. And then I'll just go find something better and maybe do it there too. But I mean, how do you, how do you even do that with remote workers? That's in an office. I can see, you know, how you could better manage that, but remotely. Yeah. Remotely. Yeah. I, I see a lot of companies really, you know, struggling with that. So now we see a trend of companies using different approaches within the, you know, during the hiring process. So, um, starting early on, you try to do your best to identify the best candidates. So you might be using artificial intelligence uh, right. and algorithms to uh, really, you know, um, identify the best candidate. You take them through personality questionnaires. Um, right. uh, so there are many approaches at the moment. But uh, as you said, being, you know, um, at the office, face to face, interacting with one another is the best way to build such a culture, definitely. And there are approaches being, you know, taken throughout the, the two years of the pandemic that people have been working remotely, uh, such as, you know, online coffees, online, um, you right. know, uh, discussions, you know, different kind of initiatives to for, for interaction uh, with one another. But, um, yeah, they're definitely not as effective as um, team building exercises in person, I would say, yeah. I, I feel it's my age, but those are so painful for me. <laughs> like you're looking at somebody on a screen and you're sharing a drink with them. First of all, I don't drink coffee or alcohol, so I'm out on both of them. I've got my trusty water with me, but I just, 
I, I'd rather be in person. When I when I see Rachel, I mean, I, Rachel, you can see from her smile. I mean, yeah. I love Rachel. <laughs> but when we're together in person, it's just yeah. magical. It's so yeah. different yeah. than yeah. online. And we've known each other five, almost five years, yeah. right, Rachel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't that crazy? But it's so different when we're together. I, I just, I really, I personally have difficulty when it's remote like this, establishing a bond, establishing yeah, that, right. that deeper connection. I think right. I have trouble in general with that, but um, <laughs> certainly isn't helping online. All of us, yeah, right. no, I think definitely this is the way it is. Uh, and yeah, hopefully it will not be for long. <laughs> so yeah, many companies are now returning to the office, so. Right, but we're, we're seeing employees not want to come back or, or want to come back when yeah. they want to come back. And I really, I've, I've talked, we've talked about this on the show before, and I've talked about it a lot in life. I worry about the early career stage employees yes. who don't have the that ability experience. to build yeah. that deep, that, that, that right. deep relationship and, and help their career early on. The mentorship, the just running into somebody and having a problem or hearing, overhearing somebody talking about it. And Maria, it makes me think about your comment on, on, good culture versus bad culture, the likelihood for me to feel disenfranchised, for me to feel angry about yeah. something and not be able to communicate, not be able to talk to somebody, I almost feel like that remote nature raises the risk of yeah. insider threat. Not not just because it's easier, but because I don't have the ability to, to develop deeper bonds. I don't have the ability to vent. I don't have the ability to say, Rachel, you're not going to believe what happened. What would you right. do with that at the water cooler? Right. Yeah. And especially I have to as set up a said, session or caller. Yeah. Especially if you're, you know, the early career kind of professional who just joined the company and they joined, you know, remotely. Uh, so right. building that relationship is even harder. And yeah, of course, I would agree that this could um, make it easier for someone to to become an insider. Yeah, absolutely. And what are the things that Oh, sorry, Maria. I just wanted to ask a question and get your perspective on this as well. You know, again, on the remote, I love this topic. Um, and so I think there was an article that it was Bleeping Computer that was talking about now the ransomware gangs and are, are just kind of openly reaching out to employees and, you know, hey, you want to help me yes. out? And I'll give you a kickback. I mean, what is what is this about? <laughs> This is crazy. <laughs> yes, it's it's a new trend that not not necessarily new, but it is right. definitely a trend. And we see ransomware attackers really um, targeting random companies now, uh, even small and medium enterprises. Mm -hmm. And we see them approaching uh, employees and inviting them to collaborate. So, for example, you know, getting a message if you actually persuade the company to pay the ransom. Um, you will get 40% of the amount. And we actually have examples of employees within insurance companies because insurers oh, are actually mm -hmm. part of the equation right. of paying the ransom. Um, right. So um, they communicate with employees within an insurance company asking them to really persuade the company to pay ransom and they will get a huge amount um, as well. So... Um, yeah, it's, it's really becoming a trend and it's quite interesting how, um, really attackers who, who initiate ransomware attacks now, um, they seek assistance of employees. Wow. Um, and that could be due to many reasons. Um, we see, uh, especially in the U S legislation coming, 
uh, or I think it came already of, you know, no paying ransom and yeah. other countries mm-hmm. are following that. So if no one is going to pay, um, you know, there's no gain. Right. So um, attackers are really considering yeah. of different techniques. And to be honest, um, cyber criminals awesome. are utilizing a lot of psychology um, theories uh, and ma- manipulation techniques. Uh, right. Yeah, they're doing, they're, they're studying as well. So That's You know what comes to my mind when I hear you say that? There's a a ransomware actor in Eastern Europe, Africa, China, wherever, coercing an employee to help them. Mm -hmm. The employee helps them. The company discovers it, gets law enforcement involved. The odds of the person in Eastern Europe actually being incarcerated or paying a penalty is pretty low. The odds of the employee who assisted them, I would say that's rather high. Yeah. Jail time, fines, you know, lawsuits. And, and the risk equation really does shift in companies. I, I think that can get shut down pretty quickly with a couple of good yeah. examples. Uh, well, risk reward. No, I Rachel, don't know. you're going mean, to take the money. You're seeing these Rachel's ransomwares. Rachel's taking the money, Maria. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, forty percent of fifty million dollars would cause one to pause. I'm just saying. I mean, it's these ransomware amounts are just increasing exponentially. It's kind of and, and you're saying you'd never even think about the jail time or the consequences because you're physically in a location where there are laws that can get you. Eastern Europe is a little more. Russia, I mean, it's a little more sure. wild, wild west. Sorry, that's a U.S. expression. Um, it just means and crazy yeah. and anything yeah, goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I still think to, money's powerful, yeah. right, Maria? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it goes back to how you perceive risk, right? Um, exactly. And okay. as you said, okay. coming from an Eastern European country, you might perceive risk as, you know, not something that might really touch you, especially when we're talking about cybercrime. Um, right. And, and that goes back to attitudes about law enforcement, attitudes about the government, um, everything, all that can shape how you perceive risk of, of getting really, um, uh, you know, getting caught. Uh, okay, hang, hang on. I'm just making a note here to alert management to ratchet up inspection on <laughs> Rachel. She is uh, susceptible to coercion. Okay, That's got that. Hilarious. So, hilarious. So what, one of the questions I wanted to ask today is, you know, in an effort to mitigate the risk of insider threats, we're seeing more and more organizations collecting additional data prior to and even during employment mm-hmm. around social media. Some are requiring yes. personality tests. Does it, is it helpful? Does it provide context? Who uses it? What's the right of the employee versus right. the right of the employer? I, I, it sounds like a great idea if you can get away with it and it works, but I don't know. You'd yeah. see Rachel out on on uh, not Twitter, where are you, Rachel, all the TikTok. time? Your TikTok, <laughs> watching her dog videos, right? Is that a good sign for Rachel or a bad sign? Like, should we hire her? <laughs> well, it really depends. Like, Big if question. Rachel is, is posting, you know, photos of, of the dog saying, you know, I will be on leave next weekend, I live here. Uh, this yeah. is my address. <laughs> I'm more worried about her spending hours and hours watching dog videos on TikTok instead of working. Rachel, how many hours a day are you saying are, are you thinking you're doing right now? I don't know, but it's late at night when I can't sleep, you know? Right, but I mean, an hour, in. 20 minutes? Two hours-ish at a time. Two hours a night? I, I mean, don't judge me. <laughs> I, I am. I can't help it. So, Maria, I mean, we're looking at 14 yeah. hours of productivity that is gone right there. Yeah, but it's her free time. So it's, it's you Thank know, you, it's Maria. Not- Thank you. 
This this is the problem when we start looking at social media, though, right? I look yeah. at it as a waste of time. You look at it as her free time. Yeah. She should be able to do whatever she wants. Yeah. Um, the, the thing is that, especially going back to your question, um, yeah. you know, companies can collect data. I mentioned yeah. artificial intelligence. They can use different tools uh, to actually collect data on an employee uh, and how they, you know, their habits, their how active they are on social media, potentially their attitudes around, I don't know, um, um, the government or, you know, uh, their political views even. Um, so all that is public, uh, publicly available. So, right. uh, you know, they're free to do that. But the, what I'm thinking is, okay, how valuable or how useful can that be? Because right. if we're talking, right. if we're taking the example of an insider threat, yeah, I can collect all that, all this data. I can even hire uh, an employee and take them through, you know, personality tests. Um, but again, that might give me an indication of, you know, how they see the world, how they perceive the world, how they make decisions. Um, and, you know, that is mostly um, really targeted towards, okay, is this employee... Uh, best placed for this position can do they have managerial skills for example but it won't show me how an employee along you know down the line might end up becoming an insider so for me it's all about okay why do you how will you use the data um and and how can this be useful it might be that you identify a psychopath using, you know, some of the personality traits, uh, trait uh, questionnaires, which is great. So you won't hire them, but yeah. Okay. How many other really valuable, how much other valuable information will you gain out right. of, of doing that? Um, yeah, yeah. So it is a trend, uh, especially because organizations and companies are, Um, now really trying to minimize risk as much as possible. Um, So that is one of the approaches taken. Um, So we see kind of, as I mentioned, other examples, you know, how not succeeding in fishing simulations might get you fired. So we see kind of more, you know, organizations are trying different approaches to eliminate risk. Um, But again, I'm not in favor of really, you know, extreme approaches. I think that there are better ways, uh, and, I'm, and I mentioned the cybersecurity culture approach and yes. building that sense of, of belonging into a company, which Absolutely. might give you much more than a personality test for this specific, you know, reason. Yeah. Um, that makes sense because a lot of well, who can interpret it. I mean, I wouldn't know a psychopath from uh, from you, Rachel. I mean, I, I I'm not qualified to do that, right? right? And 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 I I've got to feel there's an issue there with inclusion and diversity. Mm. Like you you start limiting the candidate pool, which I'm I'm a hundred percent against. Right. Right. I like. I, I like a little crazy. I, I like, yeah. I love the fact that Rachel loves her dog videos, quite frankly. I can't yeah. understand it, but it makes Rachel, Rachel. Yeah. 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 And this way, definitely you, you eliminate maybe some brilliant um, candidates. candidates. Thank you. Yeah, Thank absolutely. You, yes. Because probably um, more than the psychopaths. Right? Yeah. Yeah. 
And, and going back to artificial intelligence, because there are tools that are actually doing that. They, you know, filter um, CVs um, based on, right. you know, what you kind of ask them to do based on your algorithm. And they kind of, um, sometimes they eliminate the number of candidates um, because they're not able, the algorithm is not programmed right. in a way to look for, you know, I don't know, characteristics and skills that we would be um, identifying while speaking to someone. Right. Um, so, yeah, immediately the pool of candidates could be minimized uh, and you lose talent. For me, that is what you lose. You're trying exactly. to go with the book of, you know, uh, saying in your CV that you have the X certificates, the X training, but, you know, kind of ignoring other skills, um, which is a huge mistake. You're losing talent, um, definitely, this way. Okay, Plus so you're the, not in favor. Obviously mm -hmm. not in favor. I'm not, it depends how you use it, why right. you use it, and, and how you yeah. have built your algorithm. And usually... And we've okay. had examples of Amazon, like they stopped using artificial intelligence in their hiring process because it was discriminating. Um, right. So we see that yeah. algorithms can be biased. Exactly. Uh, so it, you can't really follow one way approach. You can use right. these tools if it makes your life easier, but don't yeah. really stop there. Have an interview, talk to people. You, you can't just not do that part. Um, so... Yeah, that, that's where I'm. Okay. Wow. As we're wrapping up, coming to a conclusion, can I ask you two questions that I've been dying to get a psychologist on the line to ask? Sure. Absolutely. Can you explain Rachel's fascination with the dog <laughs> videos on TikTok? Uh, well, we would have to have a discussion about this. I can't, I can't just do it. I think it's a I can't serotonin. either. I'll take that as a no. But it's like a serotonin fix, right? I mean, it's a happiness <laughs> chemical yeah. fix of... You know, yeah. puppies yeah. and kittens. I mean, who doesn't love that? It's I'm not trained, sense. but what I'm taking out of this is both the trained and the untrained have no idea on this fascination with TikTok dog videos, Rachel. Okay, one last question then. Yes. Rachel, Rachel has been in cybersecurity for a good part of her career now. She is very talented at what she yep. does. Trust me on that. Um, she she prepares for our CEO and, our, you know, the CEO. She prepares the brief. You heard her ask about... She brings data to discussions. Mm -hmm. You've heard that today again. And she refuses to use multi-factor authentication in her personal <laughs> life when she knows. I mean, we've had, the go we've had governments, we've had experts on the line over and over on the show talking about the benefits of multi-factor authentication. And in her personal life, it's just too much. It's so much work. Rachel, this is my birthday gift to you, by the way. Thank you. Thank You're you. You're welcome. You seem very yeah. happy with it. Any idea why she chooses knowing multi-factor authentication is one of the I, I best tools she, she can use? Mentioned, um, you know, that it's too much work. Exactly. Um, it's it, going back to cyber psychology. Using tactics, fearful tactics of, of, you know, telling people how if you don't use multi-factor authentication, you're at risk of this and that. Uh, right. really pushes people away um, yeah. Yeah. and leads them into kind of a sense of helplessness because they either don't know how to set this up or, you know, they're too busy to do it. So, um, 
Yeah, we need a different approach on this. Definitely not telling people what to do, but maybe telling people what to avoid. Yes. Well, and what if we made it <laughs> I think it we missed easier. the early childhood education on cybersecurity <laughs> yeah, and multi-factor authentication with Rachel. It has. But I think you, there's got to be a way to make it easier, you know, because it's... You, okay, I got to go. I have two phones. There will and be. So if I do it, then I have to grab another phone. And what if I don't have it with yeah, me? Yeah, then I can't yeah. do it in my account. And who wants to deal with all that? I just want to yeah. do what I need to do. And that's really the biggest problem with security, right, Maria? I mean, it's, exactly. if you make it difficult, people, people are going to do what they want to do. Yeah. No, people actually, they want, they want not to have to do anything. Uh, and basically, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of research and work happening at this point on security by design in order to really... Right. Right take all responsibility from the user, putting it down to the technology. Um, yeah, we will be seeing that in a couple of years. So, Rachel, yeah, don't worry. <laughs> there will be a point where you don't have to Trust me, she's, she's not worried. That's the problem. I'm worried for her. Uh, Rachel, Rachel, I one will day. help you one day. One day. We're, gonna, I'll get we're going one to day. do late childhood education with you and I. We'll figure it out. We'll both get there. Awesome. Uh, well, Maria, oh, I should say, Dr. Maria Bada, thank you so much for joining thank us today. You. This has thank been a you. lot of fun. I really enjoyed it's been this conversation. Great. Likewise. Thank you yeah. so much. It's been a pleasure. Fantastic. I will keep working on her, Dr. Bada. I will, I, will, <laughs> I will work it. I'm going yeah. to prove that late stage education, though difficult, can be successful. It can be successful, yes. No, it definitely can. Absolutely. Up. That's what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank Absolutely. You. And, and thank you to all our listeners. You know, we, we really appreciate you joining us. You know, we love your feedback. Uh, please drop us a line, you know, and, and would love to hear, you know, what you think about, you know, the topics we discuss, but also what you'd like to hear more about, you know, and, and please don't be afraid to kind of like tiptoe over to that subscribe button and just pound it in there. And then you'll get a fresh, fresh podcast to your email inbox every Tuesday. How Rachel, awesome you're so nice. Hit the subscribe button if you want Rachel to use multi-factor authentication. <laughs> that too. <laughs> so everyone, until next time, be safe. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts.